Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. And you know it is my desire, it's my ultimate goal, to bring you exciting guests with tips and tricks and things we might not think about each week, you know, different out-of-the-box ideas on how to nail that next great job. So today on the show, I'd like to welcome Jason Cutter, CEO and founder of Cutter Consulting Group and author of several books, including Selling with Authentic Persuasion. Jason is a sales success mindset and scalability expert. Say that three times fast. His goal is to help individuals sell with authentic persuasion instead of just building a rapport. With years of experience managing and training salespeople, he is dedicated to helping individuals in the sales industry by being honest with customers, overcoming sales misconceptions, and winning customers' trust. He also helps leaders of a sales team with training and leadership development to help scale their sales operations. So thank you for joining us today, Jason. Thanks for having me, Casey. I'm super excited to be in this conversation with you for as long as we've we've known each other virtually and uh, also to be on the stage with the other kind of people you brought in. Uh, hopefully I can do it justice. Oh, I absolutely know you're going to do it justice. Otherwise, I will come and get you. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that. I know. And sure. it, it has been a long time coming. You know, we've known each other for several years and it's just been I'm, I'm not the timing just hasn't been right, you know, for us to make this connection. I know. Um, but here we are now, finally, after you've released so many books. But before we get started, I always like to ask the question, how did we get connected? Well, uh, the amazing Frank Agan uh, started a pandemic networking group, as I would like to call it, or a pandemic social relief group for everybody to kind of find people to hang out with and chat. Um, and we were one of the first, uh, I don't know, I think it was like 12 or 13 people that uh, were just looking for, you know, like-minded people, early uh, pandemic. And, um, you know, it was, it was a great group of people and uh, we connected in little breakout rooms and month after month for, for quite some time and then got to know each other through that. And, um, you know, then we, we continued to speak from there. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so many of my guests have been directly or indirectly because of Frank Agan, you know, and or the networking hub. It's, it's been really incredible. And, you know, over the years, and thank God he did that because us networking people, us social people, I needed people to talk to when the world broke. So, and and especially like you know as a as a small business owner always already on an island and then the pandemic hit and it was like all right no travel no going anywhere right even more secluded it's like all right i need more people like me to interact with uh, you know and they're everyone's out there and the nice thing is the technology is there bring everyone together absolutely and i really love that 
the group continues today. Um, you know, I still support the group. Uh, there usually there's probably we went from like the 12 to 13 to like 50 to upwards of 60. It's almost too big, you know, because yeah. I loved it when it was just our nice little network, you know, that was, but it's great to see all the new people too. And I've met so many amazing people through this group because amazing people invite amazing people to join. Mm-hmm. Always. So, all right. So now that we have that out of the way and we know where the connections lie, tell me a little bit about yourself and how using authentic persuasion to, has helped you to discover the keys to, to sales. Well, the, the big thing is, is I, obviously everything happens for a reason and I was destined to be in sales and where I'm at now, but early life didn't feel like that. Um, uh, such that, you know, one of the punchlines I use is that my bachelor's degree is in marine biology and I tagged sharks for years as an indicator of the fact that I would rather deal with sharks than people because sharks to me were much safer than humans based on my childhood. And then also based on what I was taught, especially about salespeople by my banking mom and my engineer dad, um, my mom who just has, still has a very strong distrust for salespeople. And um, I was a shy, awkward, bullied, late bloomer child and only child. Again, two loving parents, but both very analytical, not entrepreneurial, not sales. And so I just kind of, drifted for a while, ended up in sales, didn't think I was in sales, ran away from it, got pulled back in several times, um, and then realized what I was really good at. Still never thought I was selling because I thought I was just helping people. And then just from leading teams and building organizations kind of evolved into what I determined was my process of selling with authentic persuasion. And, and I love that term. And we were just talking about this right before the show about, you know, the name of your book is Authentic uh, Persuasion. Um, but you you created these T-shirts. And I have yep. to tell you, it is my favorite, favorite T-shirt to say <laughs> Authentic Persuader. So, and I just love that. And I love that, you know, it causes a lot of conversations too when I'm wearing it. They're like, what? What does this mean? And then I go on and I talk about it and talk about some of the principles in your book as well. So it's a, it's a great advertising tool, if nothing else. You just need, you need the town crier. That's what you need. <laughs> that's me, by the way. <laughs> that, that's it. Yep, for sure. Absolutely. So what are some common, now I'm in sales, so I get this, but what are some common fears that come along with selling and how, what do you recommend to overcome them so that, like, I know, like, I've got a sales call right after this podcast. You know, I don't want to come off as pushy. How, how do I not do that? Well, I think if, if we're talking about strategies and ways to, to handle it and be effective and successful is always be connected to what you're selling and the value to the other person where a lot of people in sales struggle and miss the mark is when they're focused on them and their needs, right? They need to close this deal. They need to hit their quota. They need to make money. They need this, this, and this. And it's all about you, the salesperson ver versus the other person. When you make it about the other person and what they want or need, and then how, as a result of you selling them, you could get them to a better place, right? Either out of pain or, towards a goal, then 
that shifts it, right? Because now it's not about me, it's about you. And when you make it about somebody else and how you can help them and serve them, sales is then about something I'm doing for you and with you instead of sales is something I'm doing to you. And then mm -hmm. I'm afraid of rejection or afraid of like having to do gross sales techniques that you know I, I don't like as a consumer, but I feel like I have to to win. And so it cuts a lot of that out. The other part that's really helpful, and this was a huge shift for me, and I can talk about where it actually came from. Um, but the biggest thing is, no matter what you're selling, if it provides value, if it's helpful, if it is truly something the other person will get benefit from. And I say that because there's a lot of pointless, crappy stuff out there that is of no value that people <laughs> try to sell. So that's a big caveat. But if it is, think about what happens if you don't persuade them to buy from you if you don't get them mm. unstuck if you don't get them out of their way and you don't help them with your product or service what will happen to them they will technically theoretically should be worse off without it which means x will happen x and then this and this and this and then you owe it to them imagine you know your doctor does an exam and says you have a tumor and then they don't convince you to get surgery, what's going to potentially happen to you? And that doctor takes it personally and professionally responsible for themselves to help you, right? They took an oath. As a salesperson, when you do that, you see it as a failure if you don't sell to the right people. You know, you just reminded me of a conversation that I had with someone earlier this week. And, and I think, just bear with me because I think it relates to what you're saying, okay? at least in my monkey brain it does um so i you know me i you know one of my core values is authenticity and i always want to give value first without expectation of receiving and i feel like that's what you were just saying about the sales process you want to make it about the other person you know if you close the deal that's great and i'm not and i know as a salesman you know you eat what you kill right but i think if you have that mentality then it comes across as being non-authentic Right. And so my proposition is that I always want to give value first and without expectation of anything in return. And so the question that was brought up to me, though, was, can you truly do that? And I think you can. I think you can. My answer to that was it, it's not 100 percent of the time. There are going to be times when you give um, with an expectation of something in return. But if that expectation of something in return is valuable for that person that you're giving value to, then I think it's still the same. I think I'm still giving value without expectation. Does that make sense? Did I just talk in total circles? No, it, it does. And it's an interesting debate and I don't have an answer for it either, which is the same thing for philanthropy and altruism, which is, can you actually give like, one way without getting anything in return. And there's debate that says you can't because when you're giving something, you're doing it for yourself to feel better. Even if you don't get anything in return, there's something in quotes that you're getting from that. And so can you truly give without receiving or expecting right now in business? It's the give to get model, which is also what a lot of people do with religion, which is I'm going to give this to God or the church, and then I'm going to get this, like not to make this religious, but like people do that as well. And that's not the way in business either. If you give to get, then there's this expectation and it would be like in a relationship. If I give you this, I expect you to give me this back. 
And that's not going to work because there's always that underlying feeling of like expectation. Like you owe me. The conversation is totally different. And, and then what are you, are you really doing it to help somebody or are you just doing it because you're wanting to close the deal? Exactly. You know, in, in, as a salesman, you know, I don't even like to call myself a salesman because I don't feel like I do sell. I just happen to make deals every now and then, you know? Yep. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, whenever I approach someone with the authentic desire to help them solve a problem, whether it's to hire somebody or even just to help find someone to train their team, like, you know, I've, I'm working on referring you to some clients for that very reason, then I feel like I, I get more out of it. They come back to me yeah. and it may be a year later, but they come back to me because they trust me because we've built that relationship. Yeah. And I, I think the biggest key, and this is where I know for in, in my mind, and then also with the teams and the individuals that I work with is it's tough to do that when you're in survival mode. Mm -hmm. And really the key is that you've got to be playing the long game. Now, here's what's crazy. It's 2022 and here we are people that are watching this or listening to this lives are comfortable enough. If you consider the rest of the world, plus where we were not too long ago as a species, that part of our brain, the amygdala is still in control of the fight, the flight, all of that stuff that happens. And so it's still in survival mode all the time. It's still worried about everything. And when that's in control, it's like not too long ago where you wake up in the morning, come out of the cave. It's like, what are we eating today? We got to go find it and we're desperate and we're going to go after it or we're all going to starve. And so when salespeople get into survival mode, it comes across, it is gross. We can all feel it when you're playing the long game. It's because you don't have to worry about eating today or you trust that it will work out and you can plant those seeds. That's why I say you want to, you want to act like a hunter, but think like a farmer. So you want to be putting in the effort to go out there and see what sales you can close also planting seeds because a farmer's like you're not planting a seed now and eating apples tomorrow right like that's a long game but when it happens they're just falling off the tree it's easy but you have to live that long so you've got to do both you know and it's so interesting what you just said because i want to kind of tie that into our job seekers and the those that are in transition because what you just said is such a great analogy about being in survival mode and a lot of our um you know some, not a lot, but sometimes candidates that are in a longer transition than they choose to be in, they get into that desperation, that survival mode. And I think that really speaks to them from a sales point of view. Cause I think everything about sales applies to like when you're job seeking, how you handle internal conflict and all that kind of stuff on a day to day. And even how, you know, we deal with like our children. If we have children, everything. you're selling them to get them to eat their food, right? So, um, so I, I think all of these rules apply to life in general. So I love that you said that. Um, so you also talk about being an order taker in your book, Selling with Authentic Persuasion. So, and, and how it's necessary for some situations, but not all, okay? When selling a product or even yourself, when is it not a good time to be an order taker? <laughs> I, I would say, um, especially like, let's break it down into the two things when I'm selling a product or service <clears throat> that's not me as a candidate but the other the the main bucket with sales is when you know that you can help somebody 
right, where a lot of people fall short and they end up in the order taker category, which is not a derogatory term. It's usually just a state of condition of their selling effectiveness, which means they're just closing the easy laydown deals of people who were ready to go that just needed someone nice to take their payment and information. Like that's it, right? It was just purely an order taking situation. But you're up against a whole bunch of things, which we can talk about, um, that require persuasion and processes and, and sales skills to help somebody get unstuck. Because when you're selling to somebody, if they haven't already bought it, it's because they're unsure and they're unsure because they're afraid of change. And so you need to help them get unstuck. And that takes skill. You can't just sit back and wait or you will not be in a sales role. And really, again, going back to what I talked about earlier, especially with the doctor side, is you owe it to that person. It's it's your duty and responsibility to help people who could benefit from your product or service, moving them forward. And I'll tell you, that really makes a shift in a lot of people who act like order takers. They're afraid of confrontation. They're afraid of pushing people forward because they think it's manipulation and gross. Instead, realizing like, no, you owe it to that person. If I can help you and I don't, I've let you down. And so you move that forward. For candidates, when they're order taker in that situation, because I have hired a ton of people, I've interviewed a ton of people, I've also had to fire or let go a lot of people, just the nature of sales and call centers, is there's a lot of people who go into a role, go into a, a interview process, and just basically are along for the ride. Right, They are just taking whatever's given to them as far as interviews and questions and processes and just kind of going through it instead of having some initiative and or control, not fighting for control, because I've dealt with those candidates as well and they're really annoying and difficult <laughs> where they're trying to control me in the process. And that's, especially as an only child Scorpio, you're not controlling me <laughs> at all. Like that's not happening. But. Like if you're a candidate, what I'm looking for hiring for any role, not just sales, but any role, is somebody who's showing initiative and knows where they want to go and is willing to be a very active participant in driving towards what they want as their goal. I want that in any role. It doesn't matter what it is. I don't want a order taker who's sitting there and I've got to tell them what to do the whole time. That makes a lot of sense. And so and, and that kind of leads me to my next question. So, and so somebody that's just an order taker versus somebody who's going out there and really getting it and going after it. So how, how do you distinguish between selling with a poor technique or just simply not being a good fit for sales? <laughs> um, that is a challenging one to, to, especially on the surface, but to dive down to it it really comes down to desire and 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 it comes down to some basic traits the desire to succeed here's what i look for and and i wrote about this in a chapter of the book which the title of the chapter is called making yourself into a sales professional and just to set the stage for this again awkward shy bullied late bloomer left out only child to two analytical parents who hated salespeople. i chose sharks instead of people like literally standing <laughs> on a boat surrounded by three great white sharks at one point in my life and that was a safer smarter choice than people right you know this i'm deathly stage. afraid of sharks i feel I certain i'm going to be eaten by and, one one day and, and i was the young person on the boat which meant i was responsible for not letting them eat the bait so you've got an 18 foot great white shark coming at the boat as fast as it can and i'm there to protect the bait 
so that they can still tag the shark for research, right? That's still safer and smarter than dealing with humans. What you see today, what you're listening to and all of this is me making myself into who I am, right? This is, I, some people, and I've interviewed people on my show, they're four years old, they're selling people. The Gary V's of the world, selling people stuff when they're five years old, they got it, they've been doing it for a long time, that's their path. I'm not that person, I promise. Um, so in, there, in the chapter, I talk about five traits, sales success traits, which not just sales, but everything in life is sales. So these apply to anything, mm -hmm. is openness, curiosity, creativity, persistence, and authenticity. And <clears throat> the order of that is very important. A lot of people think to be successful in sales, you just have to be persistent. But if you're persistent and you're not open to new ideas or feedback, and you're not curious about other people like the customer, you're just gonna be a persistent jerk. And those are the people we don't like that are in sales roles. If you're open and you're curious, I can teach you the rest of the stuff. If you have those traits and you're not effective at sales, then it's because there's no process, you need better skills. But if you're open and curious, you will figure it out on your own. And those people are usually on the right track. It's when somebody's not effective in sales and they don't take feedback and they think they know it all and they're closed-minded and they're not curious that they're, it's done. There's nothing you can do about that unless they change that mindset. I love that. And you know what it brought to mind when you were talking about this? I've talked about this a lot on the podcast because I hate it. Um, those people that when they connect with you on LinkedIn, the first thing they start doing is they start selling to you. Grab some time on my calendar. I, I know you need this. And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> you know, there's no, and, and what you just said about being open and curious, they weren't even open and curious enough to look at my LinkedIn to see that I wasn't a fit for what they were trying to sell. Yep. It's, and I will immediately disconnect from you if you do that to me. 100%. I actually have this service called Clair, uh, Clarity. Uh, .fm that I signed up for years ago, which lets you do like coaching and meetings where the people pay by the minute. Like, you know, like a, like a, like imagine somebody says, Hey, I want to grab 15 minutes with you. And you're like, cool. I charge, you know, $45 for that, but you can pay for whatever blocks. I haven't used that in forever, but I send that to those people. I'm like, cool. You want time on my calendar? Here you go. It's, it's $3 a minute. If you, I... if you really believe in your product that much. And of course everyone's like, no, no, no. Use my link. I'm like, no, use, use mine. mine. Okay. Yeah, try it. We'll I love that. So tell me the name of it again. Uh, Clarity.fm. I'm so. And it's really useful that. for like people, you know, that like successful person. Everyone's like, hey, can I just get 15 minutes? Can I take you out to coffee? It's like, yeah, my time's worth more than coffee. Yeah. But if you want some real coaching and mentorship, I'll give it to you on a one off basis. Right. I love that. I so yes. need. I'm going to look at that up. Okay. So. All right, so what is one sales skill that people can practice to improve their approach and you know just become a better salesperson? Help me out, the, Jason. The, I need to be better. The, the, the biggest thing, well, okay, I'm gonna give you two because I'm just bad at, at one thing. But <laughs> the, the first thing, which goes to that second trait that I mentioned is curiosity. When in doubt, ask more questions. Mm. Fundamentally ask more questions. It does two things. One is it gets you to talk less. Salespeople talk too much. Most people talk too much in conversations, right? When was the last time in your own personal life you had somebody who actually asked you questions and actually shut up and actually listened and actually paid attention versus just waiting for you to be done so they can start talking about their own stuff, 
right? I have to really think about that, that because they think sales is telling you, and if I just throw enough stuff at you, I will wear you down, or I will trick you, or I will convince you. Asking questions will shift that. Really, what you want? This is my grandma Tommy years ago. Two ears, one mouth. You should be listening twice as much as you're talking. In your conversations, you should be doing a third. They should be doing two thirds. Unless you're doing a demo or like a, a presentation, they should be talking. The other part and the value of that is when that happens. And think about your own personal life. Everyone that's watching or listening to this, you really feel like that person cares because they ask you questions and because they listen. They, you feel like they care. In sales, once they know, once they know you and they like you and they feel like you actually care, they will trust you. Once they trust you, the rest is just paperwork. It's literally that's that's it from that moment. Um, so that's the first one. The bonus thing is, if you're struggling with sales, when in doubt, do the opposite that you think salespeople should do. Mm. Most people have this misconception in their mind of what sales is and what salespeople should do in their emails and their outreach, the LinkedIn stuff we were just talking about, their voicemails. Just do the opposite. Be a human that cares. If you do that, I promise you'll close more deals. I love that. You know, one of the things that I love to do when I engage with candidates, and I do this because I genuinely want to know, is I will ask about, do you have any children? Or do you have, and I have to be careful with that one, but, or do you have any fur babies? You know, and I can get a real feel for somebody, you know, about how they immediately soften, you know, if they're talking about their fur babies. And it just, and it opens up that conversation that I'm like, oh, I have fur babies too. I love them. You know, do you, do you dress yours up? Mine won't let me put clothes on them, you know, <laughs> those kind of things. But it, it just really yeah. helps to humanize the experience, I think, when we do that and we ask those personal questions that aren't too personal, right? And But then also getting into the sales stuff. Like if whatever you're selling is ask tons of questions. When I'm in a hiring role, I got candidates. Why do you want this job? What are you looking for? Mm -hmm. What have you tried? I, I'm not just going to sit there in the interview and, and try to sell you my company for 30 minutes. I probably won't even talk about the company at all. I never do that. I'm like, you can look it up online. You should have already researched it anyway. I'm here to know about you. I'm going to hit you with a ton of questions because I care. And I want to find out if this is a good fit for you not just for me, but for you. Same thing in sales. Um, I think a lot of people in sales are afraid to ask questions because they feel like it might be intrusive. Uh, they think people might not like it. They might push back. They might not get the answers they want. But if you do it because you actually care, people will answer a lot of questions. I think that's a great one. I, I truly do. So real quick, um, you have your own podcast. It's uh, The Authentic Persuasion Show. Um, and, and you've featured, I, I can't remember how many episodes that you've had, but I think it's been quite a few. Um, so yes. which of your past guests left an impression that you will never forget? I, and I, I knew you were going to ask this question and it's still a tough one for me, um, to think about who it was. Um, you know, our, our mutual acquaintance, Dave Meltzer. That was, that was a big one. I liked what he said. It really resonated. In fact, it resonated more long after when I looked back and reflected on it. I was in interview mode versus when I was doing it. Um, you know, one of, one of the ones that impacted me the most that I talk about the most is a woman, Jamie Sarche. She's actually a salesperson. I'm using quotes because I don't remember her actual title for a funeral home, mm. helping people sign up for end of life plans and planning out when they pass away, what they're going to do at that time. Oh, interesting. At the time, when I set it up, I was like, this is the easiest sale ever, right? Death and taxes. What could be hard about that? 
And it turns out it's really hard because no one wants to admit their mortality. Yeah. And it's a really hard, complex, emotional sale. And you have to be really connected. You have to really care and ask lots of questions. And I learned a lot from that because I was like, you just assume it's going to be easy, but it's not. And uh, it's something you don't think about. Like you think sales is this or that. You don't think of like that as a sale and, uh, you know, having to empathize with your potential customers. Wow. Yeah, that one would have been would have been a hard conversation to have, I think. Yeah. So, well, all right. Well, we are ready for our VIP questions. So, and I hope that you've had a chance to kind of look at these because I'm sure you've watched the podcast, but yep. now's your chance to be on the hot seat. So if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? Well, um, so I would take uh, my girlfriend and partner in crime. I refer to her as my PIC, Tana. Um, for us and all the time we've been together, we figure everything out. I know if we went there, like we would just figure it out together and then we would just have a blast and it wouldn't matter what else is going on. Um, just because that's what we do. Uh, the second thing is I would take as much music as possible. Mm -hmm. One of the things in reflecting on this, I was thinking music has a way of taking you back to a certain place. And I love the thought of taking a bunch of music, having that play. And then when I listen to that music again, it takes me back to being the first colonist on Mars. You know, it's, it's something emotional, it's energetic. It just takes you there. Um, and then I have this thing called a remarkable tablet. Which <gasps> no way you have one of those. Yeah, we, we talked about this oh. once before. So I would take my remarkable two tablet, which for anyone that's, uh, doesn't know, it's basically a electronic notebook that really doesn't do anything but writing and journaling and things like that. Instead of trying to take endless amount of books, you take that and you can journal as much as you want. Cause for me, that's a huge thing. And I'd want to document everything possible and write it down. And you know, that's just the way my brain works. I am so jealous about your remarkable. This, this, this notebook has been coming up to me so often and I'm just like, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to go get one. I have to get one. Yeah. Cause get it one. feels like you're actually I, I really writing wish they on had paper, their right? affiliate program from back in the day. Uh, cause I tell people all the time and I've sold so many of them without being a salesperson. For it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that way we know that it's true and authentic that you really like it. So, yes. okay. So what's one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? So speaking of which it's journaling, like the mm. biggest thing I do every single day and I can feel when I can feel my day is different when I don't do it is journaling, writing out my goals, my, my big picture goals that I have. And I've gone through an evolution of how I state those, especially after, you know, working with David Meltzer for a while and kind of like, what's the good thing in the universe versus like trying to control my goals and I need this or I need that. Um, but then also just journaling. Um, I used to have a lot of structure to it, but it's really about what happened the day before? What do I want to set for the day? What's going, whatever's in my head. I'm so analytical. I just got to get it out of my head and then I can move on. Um, and it really helps me start my day. I love that. I, journaling to me is probably one of the best things you can do in the morning to set your day up for success. That and quiet time, how, whatever form you mm -hmm. choose. I think that's so important. Yep. Okay. So if your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? This was tough. I have like eight of them that I would do. <laughs> um, I think the one I would probably say right now is what I learned about myself and the world during my halftime. So I turned 45 uh, a few years ago and after everything I've been through in life, 
it struck me as I felt like I was truly at halftime in my life, right? 45 years in, I looked at the scoreboard, I'm not winning in most categories, but I'm still in the game and I'm regrouping in halftime and I know what worked and what didn't work. And second half is just game on. Um, and so that was, that was a big thing for me to look at, realize, and then just excited about the second half. I love that. I too am at halftime. So <laughs> game on. Game on. <laughs> awesome. Oh my goodness. This has been so much fun. So how do people find you so they can have fun with you too? Um, the easiest thing is if people are online and they want to go to my website, which is my hub for all my information, they go to jasoncutter.com and find everything from social media to books, to podcasts, to articles and things like that. Or always reach out to me, jason at cutterconsultinggroup.com. Um, if you want to chat, I have some eBooks that I give out, some, some things that'll help with sales and also happy to chat. I know you're like me. You're like, just call me. Pick up the just, phone. Just Let's call just talk. Me, but don't give me a sales pitch right away and exactly. tell me why I need uh, all of your your leads or your products. <laughs> I agree with you wholeheartedly. So, well, Jason, this has been so much fun. Thank you for being a guest on the show. And I just have one last thing to say to you. You are a VIP. Thanks. And that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.